You are listening to Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour, a podcast released on the first three Wednesdays of the month. Family crisis, relationship crisis, addiction crisis, no two crisis situations are the same. They vary by family, individual, and relationship. They can encompass complex family dynamics, emotional distress, anger issues, and entitlements, and often involve substance abuse. This podcast addresses these issues and others surrounding the addiction epidemic currently plaguing this country and the world. There is hope and help. Are you stuck, scared, or unsure of what to do next? If a situation with a loved one, spouse, or even a child has started to spiral, possibly becoming dangerous or threatening, it's time to seek help. My name is Scott H. Silverman. I help families navigate crisis situations. I'm the person you turn to in order to get you and your loved ones unstuck. Welcome back to the show. This is Michael Glenn Moore. I'm Scott's co-host. Scott, we have something special going on today. Why don't you uh, tell us what's going on? I will. Michael, hello to you. Uh, This is Scott H. Silverman. This is our uh, happy hour. And we are happy about the guests we're about to introduce. But before we do that, just give you a couple of pieces of information. First of all, um, happy Easter and happy Passover. We're right in the middle of both those holidays or in the midst of them. So I want to wish you and your family uh, all the best. And I hope this magical time of connection for all of us with our significant others, family members, and our higher power, whatever faith you're committed to or not, Hopefully, this will be a time to pause and enjoy each other in a way that we haven't uh, been able to recently. So with that said, um, contact me anytime, Scott H. Silverman at 619-993-2738. And I really want to encourage everybody through the month of April to please call me at 619-993-2738. I'm offering free coaching up to 10 minutes to anybody who calls me, a family member, a loved one, a coworker, a colleague, if you're hearing my voice and Michael's, please give us a buzz or text me and let's talk or just email me at scott at yourcrisiscoach.com. Once again, Scotty Silverman's happy hour. Well, I want to introduce our guest. He's a gentleman that I've known for quite some time and he's very unique in the industry that I've become a part of. And I say that because his passion for helping others, his commitment to do as deep a diagnostic and assessment to help and be supportive is stellar and exemplary. He's a a doctor who has spent most of his adult life trying to find ways to get better at what he does to help more people. And he's currently the medical director right now with us at uh, Confidential Recovery, which is awesome. And as we get ready to start working with veterans, uh, I know Dr. Milgram is excited as I am. And I want to make sure that today what we do is we're going to ask him a couple questions. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself. And I hope you get a chance to get to know him as, as uh, well down the road. Uh, obviously, we're physically here in San Diego, so there are some limits. But the phone always works, and it works around the globe. So with that, I'm going to bring in Dr. Milgram. And I'll let uh, the doctor tell us a little bit about himself and uh, whatever credentials he wants to share. And then, uh, doctor, I'll get into a couple of questions I have for you. So, Dr. Milgram, the show is all yours. Okay, Scott. Uh, thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, Scott and I actually met in a very interesting way. Um, 
I'm currently uh, working on my third board certification. I've been in practice, uh, practice practicing as a primary care physician, uh, taking care of patients one, uh, one at a time. I've never been sort of in the system to do uh, institutional medicine, but I believe in uh, really helping people, and uh, you really need a doctor that is a patient advocate. So I've been doing that for over 40 years. I started practice in 1980. Uh, but in uh, uh, March 23rd, 1988, I uh, had taken a nosedive. My life had taken a nosedive into uh, dysfunctional behavior, and uh, I crashed my brand new Jaguar into a tree at uh, 70 miles an hour, uh, somehow survived. And um, when they cut me out of the car, I had a syringe full of Demerol in my arm. So uh, I always say uh, I hit the tree at 70 miles an hour and uh, immediately stopped. Uh, my entire life from being this professor at UCSD and a clinical instructor and uh, conducting seminars, teaching people in advanced surgical techniques and, you know, a big BMOC in my own mind, at least, I, um, I went from that to being uh, uh, lower than whale shit. And uh, uh, everybody judged me as this uh, person and I uh, sort of my life has been adapting ever since. So that got me into uh, uh, not only recovery myself, and March 23rd was 32 years in recovery now. And of uh, abstaining from mind or mood altering substances, but also it uh, been, resulted in a lot of self analysis. And that for 30 years now, I've been trying to help others. I've achieved degrees in not only counseling, uh, but also I've been taking care of patients actively. And I have concentrated now mainly on detoxification and also counseling people on how to get to be from an addictive state into recovery and a successful recovery. I've evolved and done several things. I, and I'm medical director of several different places. Uh, I think one of the greatest uh, days in my life was when John Milner opened up the Pomero Detox. Uh, he made me the original medical director there. And I'm a, a humble servant of God and a disciple of John Milner who I think is uh, sort of like the Yoda of recovery. He's just, I've learned so much from him. And I learn from every patient that I take care of, and I've adapted it into the practice of medicine. So that's who I am. And, uh, you know, um, Scott, uh, you had, I gave you a list of questions that you may want to ask me. Uh, do you want to ask me the first question? I do, um, but I want to, I'm going to move around a little bit on you, Phil. So tell me, uh, Dr. Milgram, what was it that you did that you think made the difference between your survival in recovery as a professional, trained professional, and others who maybe um, haven't been as successful? What was it that drove you? What was it that you did? And what is it that you do as an example to others? Because I know there's you know, especially in the medical field today, in the healthcare field today, there are a lot of people that are, you know, working at a level they probably never expected to. And I understand that there are a lot of medical professionals coming out of retirement now to be of support as well. 
with what's going on. So would you expand a little bit on, on what it is you've done in maybe your recovery that others probably need to hear? And I, I, I'd also like to hear, I know some of it, but uh, I think that would be important to our listener if you don't mind. Sure. Well, you know, I didn't finish the end of that. That's how Scott and I met. So I, when I checked in after I came out of a coma and I got out of the hospital and my jaws were wired shut, and uh, my, you can imagine I tore my face off uh, and uh, I had a lot of bruises and bleeding and swelling and, and uh, uh, you can imagine how I looked. That's when Scott was the intake person at Dr. Milner's facility in Point Loma. So that's how we met. So I went from being a legend in my own mind, uh, from being a humble servant of God. And that's who I am today. And that's what has worked for me. You know, I'm talking uh, uh, back with people about um, what I used to be like. Uh, you know, if you plug me in, I would tell you about how I had been screwed over, all the unjust things that happened to me, how people didn't understand uh, my qualities and everything, and uh, everything that happened was bad luck and people with hidden agendas and uh, roadblocks and things against me. And when I look back at it now, I even did that for the first 22 years of my recovery. Only about for the last 10 years have I evolved into the person now that can um, really be honest, looks for my part in things. Instead of making excuses, oh, this is why I did that, uh, now I, I look back and say, well, uh, like tonight, I'm going to look back uh, and uh, – find out uh, how could I have been better on this phone call, you know? And I, I, I look for uh, what was my part of it so I can evolve to a better person. But I didn't start doing that until a long time in recovery. And so what I am passionate about is decreasing that time period from, from person going from that person they were when they were an addict to being a person in real recovery. And that's what I'm passionate about. I do it one person at a time. What it worked for me, and I'm not saying it helps for everybody, is when I forever gave up the hope of having a better past. That's when I really started getting better. Uh, so used to plug me in and I tell you all these things that happened to me. And they're really justification for how I had failed to uh, maintain and, and, and thrive and uh, how uh, why I lost this or lost that, and now, or why I could uh, uh, justify using uh, some escape thing, and it can be just as easily be material things, gambling, sex, uh, position, power, prestige, all of these things use the same circuits in your brain to justify this persona you, the addict, thinks they are trying to live as but it's a false persona. Uh, you know, uh, life doesn't come with a set of instructions. The, your genetics, your family environment, uh, and you're trying to survive, and you're following others and, and using others as an example, you adapt a perspective on life. And um, if that perspective uh, is somehow dysfunctional, you, you wind up with this inner... I call it dysphoria, like euphoria is how you would feel if you had an orgasm or you would shoot the, uh, heroin or uh, 
after you get buzzed in a drink and you feel that euphoric, pleasant effect, well, dysphoria is what addicts really feel and they're trying to cover up. It's really a survival instinct. Well, I need to either escape from this feeling or I need to adapt a way of living that uh, covers it up uh, or it leads to momentary euphoria. And that's why you get escapism. Some people don't know how to do it, so they isolate. They can't uh, achieve it well, so they, they just uh, they can't function in, in uh, relationships and in, in society. So they avoid society and they do isolation. Now imagine this person then uh, getting into a relationship. And that person has uh, not really uh, found out who he is. And so frequently they use the relationships to try to fix them. And it, it winds up being uh, dysfunctional relationships. And uh, as you can see, they're poorly equipped to be authentic in that relationship. So you, uh, you get somebody to replace the mother that you lost or the father that you lost or the, try to be a, a, a parent to a sibling of yours uh, because the, the parents are not there and not present. And so you have to analyze the, where the, the, the addict is coming from, uh, what, which one of these um, types of situations is happening with that person and individualize the treatment to them. So, so doc, so doc, when let me I forever let, gave up hoping of having a, the hope of having a better past. That's when I started getting better. I started so, being so, grateful, looking to try to help instead of uh, be part of the. I, today I'm part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. So doc, let me push you a little bit. You had mentioned that you know, after 22 years, you know something happened. In the last 10 years, have been different. Could you point to a couple things that happened for you? And because, you know, most families that struggle with issues uh, with someone in the family, you know, self-medicating or acting out or inappropriate behaviors that obviously are, you know, moving quickly and they don't know what to do. And, you know, and everybody wants an easy fix. Most people do anyway. I know I certainly did. What, what can you point to that happened for you after that, after 22 years that might be inspirational for others? Because I believe one size does not fit all, and I believe everybody, you know, will get to a certain point if they're if they're willing to work on something on a daily basis. And that, to me, is what recovery really is. It's a process. You know, it. You know, you've heard the saying, "It's the journey, not the destination." And you know, there's an interesting thing happening right now in the landscape. We like words like addiction, addict, drunk. People are trying to remove those labels because they think it's uh, it labels people. And I get that. But on the other hand. You know, leaving the drink on the table, not taking the mood altering substances, not self medicating, but reaching out for help is hard. So, could you share a little bit about, if you can, a couple things that happened after 22 years? You know, and obviously there's the burning bush and there's the miracle, and you know the sky's no longer falling. But for you, what was it? Can you can you point to something you think that might help others? You know, better understand that you know there is hope and help. Well, I mean uh, the. If you keep on uh, doing trying different things yourself, and you and you keep failing, eventually you gotta. Especially if you're in recovery and you have trusted advisors around you, eventually you trust start trying something new. Uh, you know, uh, they may suggest, uh, for example, getting out of self self centeredness and being more selfless. They may suggest uh, 
uh, talking, being more honest. Uh, they may suggest uh, not ha uh, having secrets. They, you know, if you have a trusted advisor like a like a sponsor in a twelve-step uh, meeting uh, that says uh, what, and that calls you on your shit and doesn't let you devolve into repeated self-centered behaviors and self-defeating behaviors, eventually you say, "Oh, gee, I'm getting it," and little by little, then you can have almost like a, "Gee, it's called surrender," and you surrender to a new way of living. So. I have find in, in, in my job as a detoxification person, I'm getting the actively using addict at their lowest point in life. And I try to shorten that. I, I don't know if anybody remembers uh, Star Trek. It bothers me that some of the people that I treat have never heard of Star Trek. It makes me feel old. But, um, you know, if I could do like a Vulcan mind meld with the addict and, and if I could somehow uh, make them know what I know and have experienced, and if I could transfer that to them, uh, that's what I try to do. Uh, I think I'm a credible person, so they, they believe that I know what I'm talking about. And, and then I try to explain to them how they can fast track this a little bit so they don't have to go through 22 more years of the sa same behavior, white knuckling it and getting repeated failures. Because eventually you get hopeless. Eventually you, you, uh, you have to cut through the denial and the hopelessness and give people say, wow, there is a new way of living. Uh, that's what happened to me. Just uh, all of a sudden I knew that uh, I couldn't just keep on doing the same thing because I would, I was not getting the results. So instead of doing it my way, I uh, decided to uh, really live, live the talk and walk the talk. And, and um, uh, ever since I've been doing that, incredible miracles have keep happening to me. I like being the medical director that Scott trusts. I uh, like being on this program right now. I'm like every time I'm in front of somebody that I can help, uh, it's a blessing to be able to be the one there. You know, so today, I, I, that's what I try to do. Great. Let me just do a quick recap, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I heard surrender working with others, working with trusted advisors, people that have been there maybe and done that, who have experienced what you're about to experience and get advice to them, be honest with them, to be patient, know that change is coming, be credible with your honesty and your caring, and know that you know new ways are in front of you and it can be all good if you let it. It's kind of my what I kind of got from you on, on the nuggets there. So right. thank, thank you for phrase that. Phrase it another way. Okay. Like we're, we're used to doing what we do. Okay. And you know, we automatically, it's human nature to uh, re keep reacting the same way, keep trying the same thing over and over again, because it feels like you, the right thing being, uh, being letting go to be able to trust something that somebody else advises. It's almost like, you know, stepping out over a chasm and having that trust and faith. That's why faith, in something is, is part of this. It not, has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with, okay, you know what? I'm going to trust that I'm going to do this new thing, and that's how I'm going to give it a chance. And instead of living this, uh, being the way the person that you were and just trying it over and over and over again, having the faith to try a new way, surrender, and try a new way of living. Great.
Thank you. So first question, what are the signs of addiction that people should look for in their friends or loved ones that would give them reason to intervene on their life? Well, uh, if you care about somebody, uh, uh, and it could be at an institutional level or it could be at a family level, uh, it could be uh, a spouse, it could be a relative, but if you care about somebody enough to try to help them, and, wa- and instead of uh, just uh, watching them uh, make fools of themselves and make mistakes and laugh at them, if you really care enough to uh, want to uh, in- intervene in their life and say, hey, Joe, maybe you uh, should look at a new way of living. You know, um, you look for some of the things that I've been talking about. You know, uh, you look for denial. You look for hopelessness. You look for uh, using things from the outside that uh, in a vain attempt to try to escape from this dysphoric feeling. They may be depressed. They may be very anxious. They find things to try to fix them from the outside in. It could be relationships, it could be sex, it could be gambling, it could be material objects, it could be success in a job. It gives them a false sense of being uh, successful in what they're doing, but they're only only momentary uh, fixes. And when they get so much into that, that it really affects their life, then they are not only a threat to themselves, but they wind up losing their job. Uh, affects their job, it affects their performance and their and everything they do, relationships, uh, school, uh, and when they get to a point where they can't help themselves, the earliest time that you can put them in contact with somebody like Scott or me or somebody else that you find, you know, the better it is to try to intervene on that and get them on the right track. So would you say it's safe to say that as a parent, co- you know, uh, sibling significant other that when you see these behaviors, the hopelessness, the denial, outside influencers, you know, weight loss, weight gain, you know, sleep deprivation, uh, inappropriate responses to things, impatience, tolerance, anger, frustration, depression. When, when that happens, you know, either, you know, calling you or I and, and I'm reaching out for help, what else would you suggest people do? Because one of the things I talk about a lot, Doc, is don't try to fix this yourself. You know, you break an arm, you go to the emergency department. You do not try to go right. on YouTube and fix it. So what are your suggestions for families and loved ones? What should they do? First thing. Well, I mean, uh, you can uh, go and, and it's free to uh, go or Zoom to uh, an AA meeting or a 12-step meeting uh, and, and find other people that are experiencing the same type of uh, thing and find out where they've failed and where they're successful. Uh, talk to them, uh, get advice, and uh, be willing to change. And that's really hard because people are bent on doing things their own way and trying to convert the world to do it their way instead of trying to uh, learn how to live life on life's terms. Some people call this a disease. What is your professional, not only opinion, but your own personal experience? Is this a disease? Is addiction a disease? In your mind and your experience? I definitely believe it's a disease. It is a chronic, progressive, relapsing, and eventually fatal disease if not treated. Thank you. So tell me, what what needs to be done to change from somebody who's self-medicating, who's addicted to different 
mood-altering substances or inappropriate behaviors like gambling, if you will, and sex, internet. What's it, what needs to be done to help change that person and get them into recovery? Well, I, the, the first part is the hardest part, and that is having the person realize they have a problem. How does one do They're that? Convinced that everybody else has a problem and they, people should be more like them. Or maybe they've gotten to the hopeless state and uh, they've tried to commit suicide, they've tried to overdose, uh, uh, they've um, tried to do it themselves, and uh, the best thing to do is to is bring it to their atten- attention that uh, you're re- if you care about them, you're really worried about them, and uh, they need to change. And uh, uh, there's a whole thing called intervention. You may have seen the program on TV. Scott and I, uh, I, I trained with Vernon Johnson. He's the guy that, that uh, invented the, the term in- intervention. Uh, in 1990, I trained with Vernon, and, uh, and, and then I've worked with other people that are like Dr. Milner and, and uh, Dr. Tversky and uh, other people um, uh, that have taught me more about this, who I recognize uh, that uh, there's so much more to know about how to get somebody, you know, to be willing to change. People, it's very hard to get the addict to, to want to change, uh, even though they uh, keep having uh, all they think, well, you see, there's something called withdrawal. Withdrawal is when you have the symptoms uh, of dysphoria and you feel that the only way to fix it is by taking more of the drug. I know that fix it. That fixes it. If I, uh, if, uh, I can go to internet uh, uh, porn um, and I feel good while I watch it, uh, that's, uh, that fixes it. Or a cigarette or a drink or a... A uh, line of coke or a puff of a substance, you know. Uh, f- I, I know that I'll feel better at least for a minute, and um, uh, that's the insanity of the disease. When you hop back and you go keep on doing it, well, when you decompensate into failure in in in, in your life and a threat to your health, then uh, you uh, uh, got to listen to people that have another option. Getting that that uh, person to listen is a, is an art. Uh, it's called intervention, and uh, frequently it takes the entire support group of the family to say, "Hey, we're done. You either change, or these are going to be the consequences." And the the mother, the sister, the brother, the father, uh, you know, cut off their way of living and may and and enabling them, you know. A mother, let's say, that sees her her child suffering, and then when they are in the ER and they overdose or something like that, they take them back and give them money to buy their drugs or or whatever. We we don't want them our 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 loved ones to die, so the person that is most affected and loves the person the most winds up enabling the the alcoholic or, or addict, and so we have to uh, if the addict knows that they're not going to have uh, that uh, umbrella to escape uh, with uh, that's going to con- continue help them continue their lifestyle. Maybe that's an incentive for them to 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 change. But frequently they don't. They'll go on this to live, become homeless. I have a patient who uh, was had a very rich father who gave up on her, and um, she became a hobo for three years at twenty years old, jumping trains, and because. Uh, the the addicts, uh, uh, you know, and, and that they, sometimes they don't want to listen 
or the family either doesn't come through or they can't help or they don't want to help or they don't know how to help. So it sounds like it's safe to say that if, if the disease is a disease and it sounds like it's a family disease, as a family member, when you experience this in your life or with a family member or a loved one or someone you know well, good friend or one of their children, you really need to look to experts to try to help guide you on that because that's not a skill. I, I think you mentioned it earlier, Doc, there's no such thing as a book of life. You know, there are different books, but when it comes to something like this, most people, if you're not trained or not experienced or don't have not have the experience, it's really hard to love somebody to wellness because more than likely you'll be making some steps that aren't uh, appropriate or maybe even more inappropriate. That's why they, I think they call it a family disease. So right. one of the, we have one, to treat the entire family and tell them how they could support them in the most uh, healthy way. Uh, and that sometimes does, is not the most natural way. Correct. Natural way is to try to, and it winds up perpetuating the disease instead of intervening on it. So my next question is there's different levels of care. Uh, people can call their primary doctor, doctor can refer them to a therapist, therapist can refer them to a psychiatrist. But once an individual is really ready to make the decision or is making the decision or isn't sure what decision to make, they're going to have to, you know, get some sort of support. And in the beginning of most treatment modalities, from my experience, there's a detox phase. There's a phase where you stop mood altering substances in your body. You stop self-medicating. You stop drinking you change, you're getting ready to change something. And there's going to be that, as you said, at the withdrawal. And my experience has been, you know, I run an outpatient program, but I know people come to us who are wet or under the influence or are highly addicted to different medications. Uh, some prescribed, some street bought, some combination of both. And they're going to need to be detoxes when we, you know, bring someone like yourself in and in a, has the expertise to handle the detox. Because just coming off of those things, if you're not supervised by a professional, you could actually cause uh, a lot of harm and potentially, uh, you know, kill yourself or end up dying by doing things the wrong way. So when it comes to detox, I know you have a real passion for uh, a portal that you've really uh, not only mastered, but really expanded. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that detox uh, modality and, and how it works? Certainly. Uh, so that's what I'm passionate about. I take the actively using addict they believe me because they believe I'm a credible person that they know that, gee, this guy really has experienced this. He knows what he's talking about and he's treated thousands of patients. So this would be maybe one person I might listen to. I'll give him an ear, even though I'm still thinking about, oh, gee, I'm, I can hardly wait to get to that heroin that's in my car glove compartment. Okay. Uh, they're thinking about that. They're obsessing about it. And I got to get that person to say, okay, I'm going to give this guy a chance. So that's what I'm good at, and that's what I try to do. Well, so I, I did that at Pomero Detox. Uh, I was uh, taught by Dr. Milner and other trusted people, Bob McFarlane. I told you some of the other people that I've listened to, and Scott, I learned. You learn from everybody, every health professional that's treated addicts and alcoholics. Uh, you learn from them. That's how we, we work synergistically to help each other. And you kind of constantly evolve. But at any rate, so I've done a lot of uh, white knuckle detox, you know, taking somebody from using heroin or whatever substance uh, or having this hopeless view on life and a re relapsing uh, perspective on life to um, set them, uh, give, A, give them hope, B, detoxify them in a very comfortable way 
so they don't have to suffer uh, the uh, the throes of addiction, you know, chills, goose flesh, sweating, restlessness, feeling like, oh, the only thing I can do is use my drug to get out of this thing. Even a person who hasn't had a cigarette for a while, oh, I, I, just give me a cigarette, shut up and give me a cigarette. Or the person who hasn't drank, give me a drink, I, I just one drink, I'll, that'll fix it. Getting from me that that person to actually get them through the detox so that they are through it now, and then on a path, choosing the right level of care for them, and getting them on the path hooked up to the right level of care with the quality people that I know that will continue the ther therapy, not some of these places. There's so many people, they may even be well-intentioned. They have a house, they uh, may be in recovery themselves. They, um, they say, oh, I can write off my house, I can get people in there and make money by charging insurance companies or charging the patient thousands of dollars. There's a lot of bad places out there, even if they have good intentions, they're not equipped with a certified, educated, experienced, and trustworthy uh, therapists uh, that uh, really need to be involved in the patient's care and, and in a system that really works. Um, so I've been doing detox for uh, many years. Uh, about seven and a half years ago now, I came in contact with something called NAD, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It's actually uh, an IV treatment that I use that can, in combined with medications, other medications, uh, and a lot of them are natural medication. I try to do anything as naturally as possible, uh, but sometimes we have to use other medications to get them through these, especially the first few days of, of detox. Uh, I, I make it as comfortable as possible. People frequently have no withdrawal symptoms at all with my therapy. I, I know they can't. They, I have a video link to send with you if you'd like to watch it. I, a person with a 23 clinical opiate withdrawal score to a three in a half hour with my treatment. Okay. Uh, I, I can do that with this intravenous vitamin treatment called NAD. It's a game changer. So that's why I've been doing that, um, the NADMD, and that's why I do that uh, whenever possible. Uh, to uh, That is the best first step in detoxification. Plus, uh, it takes 10 days. So in 10 days, I could take a person that's mainlining three grams of heroin a day, or a person is drinking to oblivion, or a person that is on methamphetamine. I actually give them energy with this natural thing that the cells use for energy. You may remember NAD, anybody from Biology 101, from the Krebs cycle, okay? It's what fuels just about every metabolic reaction. It makes, it makes uh, the reaction happen. And it's actually the business part of the vitamin B3 niacin particle. But I gave it thousands of times more potently directly intravenously, and it's a game changer. I see people going uh, with no withdrawal symptoms. I see people uh, having, it fixes their brains. It's like an infant brain that learns that to connect better. And then because it's 10 days, I have 10 days to sit there and talk to them and uh, give them a little individualized guidance about where their my life might improve. That's awesome. Thank you. So, Doc, let me ask you, we have to, we have a minute or two just to wrap up. 
Is there any question that we haven't asked you that we should, that you'd like to share? Is there any question we haven't asked you that we should? Meaning, oh, just your... people uh, elect to step off this hopeless uh, cycle of uh, re recurring addiction into whatever they're doing, and there is a cure, there is a treatment that works, and then you unfortunately you've got to keep it up. Uh, here I am, thirty-two weeks, thirty-two years, and two weeks later, I'm uh, I'm I'm still learning how to be a better Phil how to uh, let go of uh, uh, self-defeating behaviors, how to, uh, to, what worked for me, instead of trying to be uh, somehow a blend of uh, Albert Schweitzer and James Bond, who that's who I was before I was in recovery, a re unrealistic thing, instead of trying to be that role model, today I uh, am a humble servant of God here to help people. And if I just play that role, and and ask and stick close to recovery, and I call Scott and say, "Hey, Scott, you think this is a good idea?" He said, "Well, there you are, Phil. What an idiot! You're doing the same thing again." I can still make mistakes. I ain't perfect yet, but uh, uh, we actually enjoy speaking about this and how we have the same thing that keep, keeps cropping up. And as always, you always need to keep close to recovery. Uh, but if you get getting the addict to realize that if you don't have your sobriety you'll wind up losing everything eventually. I ain't perfect yet. That'd be a great byline on your business card. So Dr. Milgram, <laughs> Dr. Milgram, share with everybody, if you're okay with it, you know, how to get a hold of you, where to get a hold of you, and, and let them know that, you know, I, I'll, I'll remind them, but there's always hope and help. But, you know, you're a specialist, and congratulations, right. by the way, on your 32 years and two okay. weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I just was watching the last episode of This Is Us, and uh, a guy called his uh, brothers, hey, aren't you happy? Tomorrow I'm going to have one year, and uh, aren't you going to congratulate me? And the guy says, I'll congratulate you tomorrow. And, uh, you know, because each day is one day at a time. And, uh, you know, we can relapse. Just all of a sudden it seemed like a good idea to do that. And it's amazing how... Uh, so you have to really dedicate that as primary. Anyway, I'm just like you, Scott. I give everybody my my personal number. I'm willing to talk to anybody if you need me. Uh, my office number is 760-944-9200. And uh, if you want to see my website, it's nadmd.com, nadmd.com. Great. Doc, give your phone number one more time, loud and slow, so anyone That's, out there uh, who might be involved. 760-944-9200. Then you need to get into the right level of care for you that me and Scott and other trusted people that we know can evaluate and tell you where to go to for your next step in recovery. Scott, right. why, don't, why don't we ask uh, our guest, Phil, to go ahead and give our positive affirmation or positive quote for this week? That'd be great. What I would say, Scott, is there is hope and there is such a thing as recovery and not just to survive, but to thrive. <laughs>